0: Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, and he said, Behold the man. And if you just looked at Jesus, you knew he was was innocent. He wasn't an insurrectionist. There was no sedition here, and there was no blasphemy in claiming to be God's son. Pilate had never seen someone with such a beautiful character. And you know something? Character is everything. You know, in the end of time, people are not going to just listen to what we have to say. They're going to be looking at what? Our character. That will tell the whole story is our character. So let's just take a, a little time to talk about this. All have a definite opinion about the character of God. And character is everything, Right? Whether consciously or subconsciously, people, everybody has a concept of God. Whether they talk about him, think about him, there's a concept there. And our attitude toward God and how we treat others is determined by these opinions, whether we're aware of it or not. In fact, you cannot act outside of your opinions and your memories because that's what's in your head. You make 90, 99% of all your decisions from your memories because where else are you going to make them from? But the Holy Spirit can guide us. This is why we can have new memories and new thoughts and we read the Bible every day and add to that knowledge to make better decisions, right decisions. And since most will be lost, it's easy to say that most have always had a false concept of God. Is that a fair statement? In fact, I would dare say everybody who's ever been born has had at least some false concept of who God is, right? Because you would have to have a perfect knowledge of who God is not to have a... False concept. But if you grew up in a Christian home and got really good information and stuff, praise God. But most people have grown up with misconceptions about who God is. And that's the reason our world's the mess that it's in today. The revelation of God's character in view of the cross of Calvary is inexhaustible. After you've spent a hundred million years in heaven, there will still be inexhaustible knowledge to be gained concerning the beauty, the wonder, the power, and the love of God simply expressed at where? Calvary. Right? You will never be able to exhaust the concept of thinking deeper and deeper into the love of God of what was demonstrated on Calvary's hill. Look at this statement, Desire of Ages, page 19 and 20. And this is what's beautiful about our little world, though fallen. Our little world is the lesson book of what? The whole universe is watching us and learning from this. But what are they learning? God's wonderful purpose of grace. The mystery of redeeming love is the theme into which angels desire to look. And it will be their study throughout how long? The endless ages. It's inexhaustible. Both the redeemed and the unfallen beings will find in the cross of Christ. Not the cross of paganism and Romanism. And we're going to talk about that. The cross of Christ. Their science and their song. Because you cannot exhaust what you could learn about who God is. By just looking at the cross if you just think about it. All the paternal love. You take all the love ever expressed in this little world for 6,000 years. All the paternal love which has gone, come down from generation to generation through the channel of human hearts. Every kind act. All the springs of tenderness which have opened in the souls of men are but a tiny reel, a small stream like a trickle to the boundless ocean which compared with the infinite exhaustless love of god tongue cannot utter it pen cannot portray it you may meditate upon it every day of your life you may search the scriptures diligently in order to understand it you may summon every power and capability that god has given you in the endeavor to comprehend the love and compassion of the heavenly father and yet there is an infinity beyond eternity itself could never fully reveal it isn't that quite a concept so when people just kind of take what Jesus did kind of flippantly, they have no idea the love that really took place there. Because if we had a deeper concept of what really happened, it would change our lives. Amen. You couldn't be mean. You couldn't be hateful. If you, if you really understood what happened at Calvary and what the God of the universe did, you could never have envy and hate in your heart. Amen. Yes. It would change us. The Christianity has become so watered down. It's the cross has become something where you just wear around your neck. Oh, it's so much more. It's so deep, so broad, you could never exhaust it. Paul said that he determined not to know anything among you what? Save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That doesn't mean he didn't understand anything else. It doesn't mean study of prophecy or doctrines wrong. It's just that all these other topics should be studied with the cross in view. That we understand prophecy via God's love as demonstrated at the cross. That the God who showed us all this future events is because he what? Because he loves us. He loves us. Now notice this. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, his character, are changed into the same image from glory to glory even by the spirit of the Lord. That if I would take this inexhaustible theme of God's love as demonstrated at the cross and I keep beholding in it and looking at it, what's going to happen to me? I become changed. I God can't be any more loving. He doesn't change. He came and Jesus came and died for us because he is love. But can I become more loving? Absolutely. For how long can I become more loving for eternity? If I'm looking at the right but if you look at the wrong things, you could become what? Just the opposite. You listen to the wrong things, watch the wrong things. You can go just the opposite direction. This is exactly where the devil's taking us. He doesn't want just a Sunday law. He wants people to have hate in their heart with a Sunday law. He wants to have people become as selfish as they possibly can be and then have a Sunday law. And yet God wants to have a generation, a movement of people who couldn't in this human flesh be more loving. And preach the truth. Is this true? Wow. The cross of Christ first. Christ sent me not to baptize. But to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Do you know that you and I could get off on a lot of different topics? And almost as, act, act as if we're not motivated by what? Love. You ever get in a discussion with someone and it becomes an argument? Even theological. Just about truths. Did we forget something? Why we're discussing these things? Because the love of Christ as Jesus. You know, Jesus could have this whole crowd of people. And he would. He'd have a thousand people. He could have spent his whole time saying, well, you sinned this, and you've done this, and you've done that. But he didn't do that. Amen. He'd say, the kingdom of God is like this. And the kingdom of God is like this. Yeah. And people would be listening. Guys, Jesus didn't have to point out their sins. He just had to paint this beautiful picture of what heaven really is like. And I'm thinking, and I'm listening, and it's like, well, if heaven's like that, and I'm like this... Then I've got to change to be more like that. And how do you get there? It's through the cross. The cross will reveal everything to you. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the the power of God. On God's side, it's the symbol of the very spirit of self-denying, self-sacrificing, self-abnegating love. It is the ultimate declaration that God will never use the limitless power at his command to compel anyone to follow or serve him. On the other side, Satan's side, the cross is a revelation of the spirit of selfishness or self-serving. It fails to submit to the spirit of love. And we're going to see that at the cross, that's exactly what was demonstrated. When Christ died on the cross for us, he was giving. This was no self-service in this. This was all about us. And those who put Jesus on the cross, who was it about? It was all about them. see the difference? What do you think the National Sunday Law is about? Is it about serving people? No. It's about people's religious opinions. Ultimately it's really about power. Okay? Control. There's a difference. And control. The cross of Christ. And the reason I say cross of Christ is because you know others use the cross as a symbol before Jesus died. Who was that? Pagan religions. Right? Do you know what pagan religions use a symbol of a cross? Rome had all kinds of crosses. When Jesus died on the cross, there were two other crosses there. And when they destroyed Jerusalem, there were thousands of crosses on these hillsides. What the Greeks and the foolishness despise about the cross, they don't despise the fact that there's a cross. What they despise is a life of serving others. Ultimately, that's what they really despise. They have imbibed in the spirit that everything's about, it's about me. And that's why the cross of Christ is foolishness. You mean you're going to live your life and serve other people? You're not going to think about money and wealth and positions and power? Yeah? You see, that's what the cross really is. The cross of Christ is about But the world doesn't want to carry a cross like that. But that's why they won't be fit for heaven, though. That's why he can't give them eternal life. Because they wouldn't enjoy heaven. Because heaven's not a place where me is first. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter or Paul would always deny himself to carry the cross of christ because if it's all about him who was a hebrew of hebrew and a pharisees of pharisees he'd be after that top position someday of being high priest it wouldn't matter who he stepped on or how he got there it wouldn't matter that was the old paul see there's just two spirits in this world either you have the spirit where everything's about yourself Or you have the spirit where everything's about everybody else. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The cross of Christ points to the crucified one, it points to him who gave up his life for us. It points to Christ as a giver. And so often in Christianity, we think about the gift, and there's nothing wrong with thinking about receiving eternal life in a new body or a mansion in heaven. But where we've got to be careful. As we keep thinking about the gift, the gift, what I'm going to accumulate, what I'm going to get, and forget about who? The giver himself. Isn't that what happened to Lucifer? Everything Lucifer had came from But all Lucifer got to a point. He made this this mysterious thing happen, and he started thinking about what he had, and stopped forgetting and forgot about who gave it to him. And he became more interested in, in gaining more. He wanted to be like God. He wanted more things, more power. But this is why he had to be kicked out of heaven because there's no place for someone who puts himself above everybody else. There's just a, that's why Jesus, the greatest among you, is him who serves. Isn't that right? This is just a principle. So the cross points to Christ as a giver. It points to selflessness and self-sacrifice. The fall of Lucifer. Lucifer transferred his faith and love from the giver to the gift itself. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel. By the multitude of thy merchandise, all the things that Lucifer had: wisdom, knowledge, It says, they have filled the midst of thee, your whole life, your ambition, everything, with actual violence. And thou hast sinned. For who knows how long. Lucifer just thanked God for everything he had. His high position. His singing voice. The command he had. All the wisdom. All these things that he had. Thankful, thankful, thankful. And somehow, by some mysterious reason, he became more interested in the things he had Than the one who gave it to him. Amen. And what did he want? To be like God meant he wanted to really own a world himself. What was he doing with Eve? You shall become as gods. Instead of this garden being something you're taking care of for God. This could just be yours. This whole world could just be yours. No one would have to tell you what to do. You just make up your own mind. That's the spirit of selfishness. You know, Lucifer actually thought he was going to win this battle. Because there was a time he had over half the angels on his side. Because it sounded kind of good. You mean I could have more? If I just kind of act independent of God and just be my own God? I could have more? And for a lot of created beings, that might sound pretty good. But how has it turned out for us on planet Earth? Self-centeredness absolutely destroys. It really does. The cross of Rome. The cross of Rome was to the Jewish leaders their way of getting rid of Jesus. To protect their power, possessions, and positions. You see, Jesus was willing to die on a cross for us. The Jewish leaders wanted him on a cross for them. Not to be saved, but to hang on to power and positions. He represented something different to them. And for Pilate, the cross was a way of not being accused of not being a friend of Caesar. See, he was just about ready to let Jesus go. I find no fault with him. But then they screamed out and said, well, then you're no friend of Caesar. And boy, if that ever got back to Caesar, he loses his position. He loses all his possessions. And so the cross to him was about him. And in heaven, you can't, we can't be in heaven and everything be about us. Amen. Amen. It has to be about others. Wow, what a lesson. The cross of Rome to the papacy was her way of gaining the power of the state and persecuting everybody, right? They talk about the cross. They have communion every Sunday. But really, what is the cross to them? And I know I'm painting a broad, because it's not everybody in the Catholic Church. There are true believers there. But they're all going to have to come out. But what's the cross there? Wasn't the cross to them a way of hanging on to this power politically, ecclesiastically? And Jesus would say this. You can't have two masters. You can't have God as your master and also all this stuff. You know? That doesn't mean you can't own a car. I'm not saying any of that. You just can't put these things first. You can't revolve your life around things. But a person, Christ, who has the character that needs to become our character for us to fit in heaven. Because the most important thing you can have is character development. It has. It won't matter. God doesn't look at who's going to be saved, who's going to be lost, based on your bank account. Amen. That's right. He's just going to look at your character. Would you be happy there, or not? Right. You know, we were talking in our youth class, and we were going through um, uh, thoughts on the amount of blessing. And, and The comment in there was uh, to always tell the truth, never swear. Because you know in heaven, nobody nobody lies. Nobody swears. In heaven, nobody gives an exaggeration. And this is why in this life, we can't exaggerate and make up lies and make ourselves look better by exaggerating. Just just tell the truth. Because you know who accepts you just as you are? Now, humanity may not do that. Where you feel like you've got to make yourself look better or more important. But not in heaven's eyes. Amen. And heaven's where you want to be. Yes, go. God takes you just as you are and begins to mold you and fashion you, develop your character so that you will enjoy heaven for an eternity. Amen. Jesus came to our world not to seek wealth and earthly power. I mean, he had nowhere to lay his head. Rather, he came to implant, quote, love which seeketh what? That is an important statement. He wants to implant a quality of love where we seek not our own, which in itself is a source that comes right from the heart of God himself. So you don't live your life thinking about ourselves as much as, Father, I was born selfish. I've lived so much of my life selfishly. Implant that seed of Jesus, to have a love that seeketh not our own. Use me today in your service to make a positive difference in somebody else's life. See, that's what life's about, isn't it? When Lucifer offered Christ all the kingdoms of the world, he was tempting Jesus to abandon the principle of self-sacrificing love for the principle of service. I want us to think about the temptation of Jesus. Was it really about real estate? No, No, it really wasn't about real estate. It wasn't about, hey, look how nice this kingdom is. What was Lucifer really trying to do with Jesus? To abandon a concept, a principle that Lucifer himself abandoned when he was in heaven, which is why he was cast out. He was trying to get Jesus to accept a principle in him, which was the very reason for Lucifer's own fall. And if he could get Jesus to abandon the principle of serving others, to accept a principle about, hmm, these would all be my kingdoms for me. And if Jesus would have bought into that, there'd be no hope for us. And Jesus could say, I don't need these kingdoms. That's not why I came here. I didn't come here for kingdom. I didn't come here for wealth. I came here to implant a seed of love that would change people's lives. That would make them prepare to live with angels who have that same love in their hearts. Does that make sense? That's, that was the real battle right there in the wilderness temptation. And greater what? Love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you know, friends, that will be the great, great opportunity for us in the end of time. There'll be a national Sunday law. You'll be getting out the Sabbath, promoting the Sabbath more fully. You'll face a life sentence. What are you going to do? Greater love hath no man than this. And you say, you know... If someone could inherit eternal life, I'd be willing to give up my life. For them to live for a hundred million years and they just started. To be able to know God for an eternity. And to be able to study that inexhaustible theme of love. And as beholding God, they would only become more loving throughout eternity. And the world becomes happier and better. That's what we can be a part of. Isn't that right? That's really what it's all about. And this is why we take communion. Not just as something that, well, we need to do this every quarter. We need to think about what we can learn as we take communion. About God's love and think about it. It's a special moment for us. So, what we do here in the Adventist Church is that we practice open communion. You may not be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But we practice open communion where all who've accepted Jesus as their personal Savior are welcome to participate. Okay? But before we take part of the communion service, we have something that Jesus also instituted that night at the Lord's Supper, and that's foot washing. The disciples had come to that upper room arguing who was the just the opposite of this principle we're looking at. And uh, Jesus knew that. And he did something only a servant would do. And he would wash their feet. And do you know, as it says in the Spirit of Prophecy, that by that one act, they never argued who was the greatest again. You know, it may have taken three years for them to learn that the Messiah wasn't going to destroy all the Romans. It only took one foot washing to overcome this argument and desire to be the greatest in the kingdom. Amen. So, may as we and we'll all be down in the basement, the women will be on the kitchen side, right? And the men on the other side. Do you generally take some hymnals or with? No, just we'll probably all kind of sing a song separately. But the women will be serving one another, and you'll want to pick a partner, and the men will be serving one another, and then we'll. Meet back up here for our communion service. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the seed that Jesus came to implant in us. That life isn't about us. It's about service. It's about being a blessing. It's about making a, not making a buck. Anybody can make a buck. It's about making a difference. And so, Father, as we partake of this foot-washing service and this communion service, may it help us to increase and add to our faith a knowledge about a theme that is inexhaustible, your love as demonstrated at Calvary. And so, Father, as we part, we ask that you be with us. And uh, we thank you for the opportunity for us to partake in these services. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.